Father, God, I pray that our eyes are fixed on you. God, that is the only way we can say it as well with my soul, is if our eyes are fixed on you. God, I know there have been so many times in my life, God, so many times in recent past, in the past couple days, in the past couple hours where I've been distracted, where my eyes weren't fixed on you, and God... I'm asking you to remove that from me, to take that away from me right now so that I might be able to fix my eyes on you, God, so that I may be able to rejoice and say expectantly in my soul, it is well with my soul. Lord, I, I know that there are people in this place that are hurting, people in this place that don't understand a lot about Jesus, people that are in this place that really are just trying to grasp the gospel for the first time, and, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to them, I pray that you would speak clearly to them, and I pray... God, that as we examine ourselves, as we look at ourselves in light of Scripture, God, it, it may convict us, it may make us feel bad for a little bit, but that is the purpose of your word, is to, to cleanse what needs to be cleansed, God, and to take out what doesn't need to be there. And Lord, I know that sometimes that's painful when that happens, as our eyes are open to the, who we really are and, and what we're really all about. God, but it's so good and it's so refreshing Lord, when we turn it all over to you and say, God, this is, this is what's inside of me, and I don't want it there anymore, and I need you to cleanse me of it. And God, you do that, and though it is painful, God, it is so good. So I pray that you would do that in our hearts right now as we look at what you have to say to us, as we look at ourselves in the reflection of Scripture right now. We pray that you would speak to us clearly, God, that we might repent of our sins and we might draw close to you. God, and through that, I pray that you would receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You know, I'm kind of convicted in a little way, uh, in a little bit of a way, because when we were in Haiti, um, when they would pray, uh, they would pray for like 20 minutes sometimes. I mean, I, I, and I'm not exaggerating. They would, they would cry out to God, and like they would be praying, and, and I just kind of got convicted about that a little bit just now, because I was thinking about, well, I don't want people to have to stand for too long. They've been standing through the worship service, and, and now they're probably ready to sit down and and all those kinds of things. And when we were in Haiti, I mean, people would just, they would, I mean, they, there would be a pastor that would get up there and he would just pray and pray and pray and cry out to God. And if people needed to sit down, you know what they did? They sat down. Uh, some people just sat down because they got tired of standing and they couldn't stand anymore. So some of them were older and they just sat down. Um, so anyway, I just kind of wanted to share that with you. That was on my mind as I was praying just then. As I was like, I got so convicted because I was like, these people are probably ready to sit down now. I should hurry up and wrap up this prayer, but um, I, that, that's the wrong motivation. That's the wrong way to think, so um, I guess I'm confessing that to you a little bit today. Um, the other thing we saw in the Haitian church was, and, and you're going to think this is bad, but I want you to recognize that it is exactly the same way in the, the, the American church. Um, we saw some people that were there that were genuinely praising God and getting close to Jesus. And I mean, that's what they wanted. That's what the desire of their heart was to just talk to God and pray, sing praises to God and, and just love God a little bit, okay? And that was their motivation. But there were some that were there, and their motivations got a little twisted because the, 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 the white folks that showed up, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, right? So they knew that, that we were coming from the United States and we had some extra money. And, uh, and if they tried to sell us some bracelets, sometimes they would be able to sell us some bracelets, right? Am I right about that? And, and we had them try to sell bracelets, and good grief, I, I mean, I think one dude tried to sell Zach a TV or something, but, yeah, um, uh, but uh, anyway, so, so they did. I mean, they tried to sell us stuff sometimes, and there was one guy 
that saw me on Sunday, and he knew I was coming back on Tuesday for the worship service, so he wrote me a note. And in that note, he, he handed it to me, and, and, and uh, one, of the, one of the guys that's on the trip with us, he's like, hey, this dude's looking for you. I came in a few minutes late because I was busy doing something, and I came in a few minutes, he said, hey, this, this dude's looking for you because he knows you're the pastor. And he wrote me this very touching note. Well, in that note, what he said was that, that he needed some money for a book. And he needed 20 bucks. And if I would just kind of keep it on the DL, just kind of keep it quiet because he didn't want anybody else to know. But, hey, it was just 20 bucks. And could I meet him outside the church? And that way I could give him the 20 bucks outside the church. Now, everybody here is going like, man, that sounds terrible that they were doing that in the church, right? It sounds bad that, that, that they were looking at the people that had money and they were trying to get money from people and all that kind of stuff. Well, let me suggest this, that... Um, Maybe that that happens in the American church, but in a little bit different way. Have you ever known an insurance agent to go to a church, a particular church, because there are more rich people in that church, and he might be able to get some more clients by going to that church? Surely that's never happened in the American church, right? Surely that's never happened. Surely they're not somebody that just goes to the the church where the rich people are, so maybe they can get some more clients from that church. That doesn't happen. There's no way that happens, right? That would be ridiculous. People are at church for the sole purpose of being close to Jesus. That's why they go to church, right? They don't have any other kind of motivation or something in their back pocket that they're trying to accomplish by going to church, do they? Surely not. Surely that doesn't happen. That was just one example. And if you're an insurance agent in here, (laughs) I can't say that about you because we ain't the rich church. So (laughs) you're safe in here, man. (laughs) So uh, anyway... Uh, I'm sorry, I get so distracted. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, and, and, but I really did, I started to think about that, okay? I started to think about people's motivation for being in church. And, and why are we here? I had to ask myself that question. Why are we here? What do we come here for? What do we come here for on Sundays? And, and, and some people don't come every Sunday, and some people come every once in a while. And, well, why is that? I mean, what's the deal? What's going on there? I don't understand. We have church on Wednesdays and Sundays, and some people come on Wednesdays, and some people come on Sundays, and some people come one Wednesday a month, some people come one Sunday a year. You know, I don't, I don't, I, what, why? What, what's going on there? What, what, why do we come to church? Why are we doing this every Sunday? You know, I have to ask that question. Well, I started looking at that. We've been in this series called Encounter, um, so I, I, I started to look at a particular group of people that had an encounter with Jesus six days before he was to go to the cross, six days before the Passover. And it was going to be the last Passover celebration because Jesus was going to be the ultimate sacrificial lamb and there would be no need for the celebration of the Passover anymore because, because Jesus was the Passover. He, see, the Passover is a celebration of, of when the Israelites were released from, from Egypt and, and what happened was that they were to, to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost so that, so that the, the death angel would not take uh, the people in that house, that they, the, the death angel would pass over those people. And see, what happened is when Jesus came on the scene and he was the sacrificial lamb, he was the last sacrifice is that he became that sacrificial lamb and it was his blood that covered all of us and kind of took care of us and kept us and drew us unto God so that we were protected. For those that believe in that that Passover lamb, which was Jesus Christ, six days before he was supposed to, 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 to be a part of that, he's with his friends and he's hanging out, okay? He's, he's in Bethany, all right? And so it's just 
Like, and, and everybody on Palm Sunday preaches a Palm Sunday message about, you know, them laying palm branches down and Jesus coming in and, and them singing Hosanna, Hosanna. And, and that's not what we're going to do today. Um, surprise, surprise, Kenny's doing something different. But I just was, I was there in this moment in Bethany just thinking about the situation that was going on. Let's go ahead and read a little bit. We're, actually, we're going to read the we're going to read uh, John's account of this particular scenario. It says six days in John chapter twelve. It says this verse one. It says six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A, a, a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. So here we see Jesus. It says it's the house of Lazarus, and uh, I'm not exactly sure what the situation here, because we also read in Matthew 26 that this is the home uh, of, of Simon the leper. So it could be that, that Lazarus is hanging out with Simon the leper, that they're, they're roommates for a little while. I don't know, but this is what I do know. Jesus is having dinner with some folks that he loves. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they're all kinfolk, and they're hanging out, and they're having, uh, they're having dinner together, and they invite Jesus over. And they're at the house of probably Simon the leper, which this is what's cool. So um, I think about it, and like, this guy's name is Simon the leper. Do you think that Simon the leper had leprosy? Do you think that... He, he still had leprosy and that they were going to go over to Simon the leper's house and eat dinner with the leper? I don't think so. You know what I think he was? I think it was Simon the ex-leper is what I think that it was. I think that he once had leprosy, but he don't have leprosy no more. And now he's Simon the ex-leper, but he goes by Simon the leper. And I, I think that's really cool because, I mean, I can just imagine somebody having a conversation with Simon, and, and they're like, hey, bro, there's, uh, man, there's a lot of people at your house. There's a lot of folks over there. What you got going on over there? He says, well, there's, there's this guy, man. He's the most amazing guy I've ever met, and, and he changed my life so drastically. I can't even put it into words right now. He says, that's cool, man. That's cool, man. What's your name? Oh, I'm Simon the leper. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Hang on, bro, you, you, you don't look like you got leprosy. Are you sure that's your name, Simon the leper? He's like, yeah, yeah, it is. You got, you got just a minute, I want to introduce you to somebody, you know? Because he knew, he knew who, who had changed him. I believe that Jesus Christ had taken Simon the leper and took, taken him and made him Simon the ex-leper. And now he's having dinner at his house with Lazarus. So Jesus, get this, y'all. I mean, I, I'm trying, I like to put myself in the story, right? I like to, I mean, it just, it makes me smile to think about sitting at the dinner table with Martha and Mary and Lazarus and, and Simon the ex-leper, and they're having dinner. Can you imagine that conversation, man? Like, Simon's going, y'all, I remember, dude, like nobody would let me in their house because I had leprosy. And like I couldn't touch anybody. Every time I went somewhere, I had to yell unclean and everybody ran away. And, and he's like, now I'm having dinner with you guys and it is amazing and I can't stop talking about it. 
And then you got Lazarus, he's sitting over there beside Jesus, and he's going, that's a good story, Simon. That's a real good story. Man, let me tell you my story for just a second. <laughs> right? Like, like Lazarus going, you got a good story, Simon. I got a better story. Hang on just a second. He says, yeah, um, I know you used to be a leper, but I used to be dead. You know? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, now that's a testimony. You know what I mean? Like, like, I hear you, Simon. Man, the leprosy thing, that was a real drag. But let me tell you something. Being dead, that was rough too, bro. That was really difficult on me, being dead and all, you know? And they're having this conversation with the Son of God, and they're, they're having dinner with him. And I just... I can't imagine what that was like. I have to put myself there. And we got Mary and Martha. Everybody knows about Mary and Martha, right? So so, so Martha gets a bad rap, right? Because she's she's got a servant's heart, and she's she's busy, like, food prep and the dishes and all the silverware and stuff. And, like, she... Okay, she gets a bad rap. And then, and then Mary, you know, she, she's the cool chick. She's the one that's hanging out at the feet of Jesus, all this stuff, right? So here, this is the story we see. Jesus is taking his last few days to hang out with the people that he loves. That's basically what's happening here. And then there, But there's some people there that aren't genuine about why they're there. And, and I think we see this sometimes on Sundays, too. You got some people that are there because they love Jesus and they just want to be close to Jesus. And we saw that a lot in Haiti where people that were Christians, Christ followers, they just wanted to be close to Jesus. So that's why they went to church. And then you saw some people with some other motivations. They they kind of saw an opportunity and they took advantage of that opportunity. Now, I know that I was cracking on insurance agents a minute ago, but there's some other people that, you know, they, they come to church Maybe maybe because they just want to kind of feel like this is what Christians do, so I'm going to just hang out with Christians and kind of look like a Christian, and maybe I'll be a Christian too kind of thing. They don't really see Jesus as somebody to love. They see Jesus as a means to an end. You, you think that's possible that that happens in the church too? The Sunday mornings are filled with people that, that, that sit in a chair, and it's not because... They're there because they want to love Jesus. It's there because they see Jesus as a means to an end. Maybe it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. Maybe it's because they got sickness or illness in their family and they just want Jesus to, to heal their family. Now, I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying you can't bring your needs to Jesus. We did that last week, and we was down here at this altar crying out to God because we needed peace in our hearts. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm asking you a simple question this morning. Do you love Jesus? Are you here today because you love Jesus? Is that the motivation of your heart is because you love Jesus? When I ask this question, I've had so many people come to faith in Christ because they started looking at themselves and they go, do I love Jesus? Is that why I'm here is because I love Jesus? And they really can't answer that question. I I just, I'm struggling to understand. I'm struggling to understand why, why people want to, like, take advantage of Jesus? Because that's what, that's what some people do. They, they're taking advantage of Jesus when they do that. And you say, man, I struggle to understand that too. Particularly a guy named Judas who took advantage of Jesus. So let's go on and let's, let's read this passage. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. That's cool. Martha served... And Lazarus was among those who ate with them. Then Mary, 
took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume and made from, made from essence of nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. So here, Mary is just taking this time with Jesus. And she just, she's got a very expensive bottle of perfume, man. And she just starts to anoint Jesus' feet with it. And she's pouring it all over his feet. You know why I think Mary did that? You know why I think Mary didn't care about the cost of the perfume? I think she just loved Jesus. I think when you look at the picture of what's going on here, I think it's a picture of somebody that loved Jesus. Do I think that Martha loved Jesus too? I do. I mean, she prepared a meal for him in his honor, you know, and, and you know, she gets a bad rap for doing service, but that's her heart, and, and, and you know, service is honored in God's word. So here we got these two people. I think that they're just there. I think these are the people that love Jesus. I think up until this point, we've read about people that just love Jesus and they want to be close to Jesus because they love him. And that's what it boils down to. But there's some other people in the room. In particular, there's one other guy in the room that kind of breaks our heart when we think about it. Kind of breaks our heart when we kind of think about the place that he must have been in his heart to get where he was. It says, but, in verse 4, it's of John chapter 12, in verse 4 it says, but... So all these people are there because they love Jesus. They want to be close to Jesus. Maybe they recognize what's about to happen to Jesus. Maybe they don't. I don't think people at this point really have a clue that that he's going to be killed and executed to the point that he's going to be. But I think they've got an idea that, that they're out to get him. They're out to get him. It says, but Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. Since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So Judas, who was the guy, he was the treasurer, right? So his job was he was the money counter. Like, okay, everybody, because, hey, believe it or not, Jesus had people that gave him money, okay? To continue his ministry, they needed a place to stay, they needed food to eat, so they would give Jesus money. Judas was in control of that money, and Judas would skim off the top. So they would give two denarii, he might put one in the bag and then put one in his pocket. And we're like, man, who could possibly do that to Jesus' ministry? And people do it all the time. I heard about a ministry recently that got shut down because people were embezzling money from that ministry. That ministry was supposed to help people and give food to people that didn't have any food. And there was people taking advantage of that and embezzling money from that. It's so heartbreaking to hear stories like that. It's so heartbreaking to hear Judas doing that to the ministry of Jesus. He's the one that carried the bag, is what God's word says. And he gave the appearance that he loved the poor. Because Jesus loved the poor, right? Jesus loved poor people. In Luke chapter 4, verse 12, it says that, that when Jesus first starts his ministry, right? And he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah. He says this, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That God has anointed me to preach 
good news to the poor. That's one of the very first things he said, good news to the poor. So I started really thinking about this, y'all. I really did. I started thinking about, all right, so, so what, what, what's the deal with the poor? What's the deal with, with Judas and the poor? What's the story behind the poor here? And so I'm, I'm going to kind of share this from a little bit different perspective today. And I want you to kind of bear with me and say, what? You know, I don't know if I could read all these commentaries and say that Kenny's right in this regard, but I can't necessarily read, the, read these commentaries and, and look at what God's Word saying. They say, Kenny's necessarily wrong in this regard either. So I want you to bear with me for just a second and think about if what I'm saying today may be true. May be true. Judas is taking some money. He gives the appearance that he loves poor people. He says, why is she wasting all of this perfume on Jesus. Why is she wasting it? Man, you could take that. You could take that stuff and sell it and give that money to the poor. Now, what was Judas really saying here? So Judas has got a heart problem, obviously. So he was saying, well, if we sell it, man, we'll get some more money, and I might be able to take a little bit of that money that was taken from selling that. Instead of giving it to the poor, I can actually stick a little bit back up for me, right? But Judas's problem... It is not a financial problem. You understand that, right? That no matter how much money Judas gets, he's still got another problem. And that is that he is spiritually bankrupt. That's Judas's problem. Do you, do you remember what happens when, when, when he finally takes the 30 pieces of silver for, Ju, for Jesus' head? Do you remember what he does? He takes it, and he takes it back to him. So I can't handle it anymore. The guilt is too much. It's too overwhelming. The money didn't satisfy the spiritual bankruptcy that was going on in his heart. It wasn't so much about the money. It was about the condition of his heart. And that he didn't love poor people. He was spiritually bankrupt. And he didn't care a thing about poor people. So Jesus has to talk to him about it. Jesus has to talk to us about it. Now, we like to, to easily point the finger at Judas and say, how could he do that? How could he do that? It's because he was spiritually bankrupt. You know what I think? I think there may be some Christians in this world that are pretending a little bit, and they're spiritually bankrupt. They may think that they're Christians. They may look like Christians. They may act like Christians. They may hang around Christians. But in reality, they are spiritually bankrupt because if they look at the condition of their heart, they are spiritually bankrupt. They are poor indeed. Now, when we think about being rich, being wealthy, we always think about Publisher's Clearinghouse, the lottery, right? Like, now, I'm not saying you should go play the lottery. I don't, don't get me wrong. Just because I said lottery doesn't mean I think you should go play it. But if you do, please tithe from it if you win. But anyway, um, so we always think about money. We think about yachts and we think about mansions and we think about buying our own island and all that kind of stuff, right? We think about being wealthy. We think about being rich. Let me ask you this. If you had a daughter who had died and Jesus raised her from the dead would you feel rich I think you would wouldn't you if you if you had a, a son or a daughter that had died and 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 
They'd lost their life, and Jesus came and put his hands on them and touched them, and they came back to life, and they stood up and started walking around and needed a PB&J like you would feel rich beyond belief. Am I right? Or if you had been dead, then Jesus put his hands on you or called out to you while you're in the tomb, and you came out of the tomb and you shook off the, bra- the grave clothes, you would feel rich. You would feel like the, the most wealthy person in the world, would you not? See, we have a wrong idea about rich versus poor. You can have all the money in the world, but be so spiritually bankrupt that you feel like you're poor. And that's the condition of Judas's heart here. So when Jesus starts to talk about the poor, I want you to think in a little different perspective today. I want you to think about the spiritual condition of people and the difference between being rich and being poor. Because this is what Jesus replied. He said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. I believe when Jesus says, leave her alone, you better leave her alone. You know, I mean, like, the Son of God said, lay off. And I think you should go, okay, all right, I hear you. Leave her alone. She did, she did this in preparation for my burial. Now, uh-oh, that's, that's a shock to their system a little bit, your burial. Oh, you talking about like 10, 15 years down the road, Jesus, you're going to you know, get some sort of disease, or you're going to get old and you're going to die. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus goes on to, to talk about his death in just a little bit at the end of chapter 12. But he says she's preparing. These are burial spices that she's putting on my body. She's anointing my body to get it ready for burial. He says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Hmm. Now, I've heard some preachers, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say this. I've heard some preachers preach this wrong, okay? I I think that that I have heard some guys say, well, you're always going to have the poor. Don't worry about the poor so much. You're always going to have poor people around, and there's nothing really you can do about that. And I think that's the wrong way to look at this passage, obviously. But I've heard some men say it, and it's, it's pretty upsetting to hear them say that. But I want you to think for just a second, because Jesus had an, an affinity for poor people. He cared deeply for poor people, so I don't think Jesus was saying that. I think that, that Jesus is looking at this dude who is spiritually bankrupt, because this is who he's talking about. Because Judas is the one that said it to Mary. He said, why is she doing this, man? I'm sure he's pointing at Jesus going, look at her. Look what she's doing. Man, this is ridiculous. This money could be used for poor people. So Jesus, looking at the heart of Judas, he says, Judas, leave her alone. Judas, leave her alone. And this is what he says. He says, you're always going to have the poor. Remember who he's looking at when he's talking about being poor here. He's looking at somebody that's spiritually bankrupt. He's looking at somebody that's spiritually bankrupt. He's looking at somebody who is genuinely poor. And he's trying to tell him, Judas, you're poor. Judas, look at your condition. You are poor. Because you see me, the Son of God, as a means to an end. For financial gain, or just because you like being around somebody that can perform miracles, you like to be around somebody that can perform healing, 
You, you, you just like to be around it, man. And you don't really love me. And because you don't love me like, Mar- like Mary loves me, you are poor. You're poor. And there's some people, maybe even in this room, that are asking themselves right now, do I love Jesus? Do I love Jesus? If you don't love Jesus, you're poor. You hear that? If you don't love Jesus, you're poor. If your motivation is something else, and you're here for some other reason, then just because you love Jesus and you want to be close to Jesus, you're poor. You're poor. That's who he's looking at. He's looking at Judas and saying, Judas, you're poor. You're saying... With your mouth that we need to reach out to the poor. And the reality is you don't even know what poor looks like because you're the one that's poor. And what does he go on to say? He says, you won't always have me here. He just got done saying, they're preparing my body for burial. Mary's preparing my body for burial. She's anointing my body, getting it ready for burial. And I won't always be here for you to love on. I won't always be in your presence for you to be able to touch me, to walk with me, to reach out to me. He's saying, Judas, your time is limited. You've got a finite amount of time. And let me tell you, if you are spiritually bankrupt because you don't love Jesus, your time is limited. You may think that you've got all the time in the world, that, that there'll be another opportunity, another chance. Your time is finite. There's a limited amount of time for you. Spiritually bankrupt, an opportunity to come to Jesus, the one whose body is being anointed so that he could die for all of us. So he could die for all of our sins and take care of all of the wrath of God that belongs to us. His body being anointed for that purpose. And he's there and he's given Judas the opportunity who says that he's caring about the poor. In reality, he's spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus says to Judas, your time is limited. Love me now while I may still be loved. Like Mary's doing. Now that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? To sit there and look at yourself in reflection of Scripture and go, Do I love Jesus? Is that why I'm here? If you don't, and that's not why you're here, I have two things to tell you. Number one, your time is limited. You have a finite amount of time. You have an opportunity And when God calls you out of the condition that you're in to come and just be with him, it's because he loves you and he wants you to have the opportunity to love him back. That's the first thing I want to tell you is you have a finite amount of time. And the second thing I want to tell you is that Luke chapter 4 verse 12 says that Jesus came for you. He came To preach, to proclaim good news to the poor. 
to the spiritually bankrupt. He came to tell them that there is good news for them. There is hope for them. The whole reason that Jesus existed on this earth was for you so that he could tell you that he wants to die for you and you have to accept him and you have to put your faith in his death for your resurrection. God created us because he loves us. We rebelled against God. And we're going to talk about this next week, how we rebelled against God. And then God wanted to rectify the situation because we were deserving of his wrath. So he sent his, his son, Jesus Christ, for the sole purpose of redeeming us and bringing us to himself. Which is good news to the poor. To the spiritually bankrupt. It is good news to us. But you have a limited amount of time. Seek him while he may still be found. Come to him while the door is still open. Love Jesus while he is in your presence. You've only got a limited amount of time. When all the people heard of Jesus, heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to him. They flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. The leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many people had deserted him and believed in Jesus. Now I believe there's three groups of people that are listed in this particular passage. You say three, I only see two. I see people I see, um, and I see the leaders. No, I see three. I see three different types of people one is a group of people that just came to see Jesus. They didn't come to love on Jesus. They came to see Jesus, the guy who had performed all the miracles, the guy who had raised Lazarus from the dead. And then there were those that believed in Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead. And then you got the leadership that's just jealous of anybody that comes around Jesus. And, and we could focus, we always like to focus on the Pharisees and point our fingers at them. Look how terrible they were, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to focus on them. I'm going to focus on the two groups of people there. There's two groups of people that come along and they just flock to Simon the leper's house. They come in droves, man. They just want to see Jesus. Now, I believe some of them wanted to see Jesus while he could still be found. They wanted to, to be close to him because they loved him. And then there, I think there are some that just wanted to come and see Jesus, the man who had raised Lazarus from the dead. I think that, that they had heard some cool stories. And man, I want to go check this out. And then I believe there's also some people that are somewhere in between. There were some people that came because Jesus was there and they heard about what he did. And then when they got to Jesus, I think that their minds went from one group to the next. And they just loved Jesus because they believed in Jesus. I believe that they were transformed. They laid eyes on him and they, they saw him and they accepted him and they believed that he was the son of God and they just loved on Jesus. And I believe in this room there are those two groups of people and I believe there are some that are moving from one location to the next. Some that are moving from one group to the other. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard about this church that meets in an old warehouse and this really crazy guy he talks about God's word and, and that's all he talks about is what God's word says and 
They come in here and they want to check it out because they're a bunch of weirdos. And that's fine. That's fine. I want you to come. I want you to continue to come. But this is where I want you to get to, okay? I want you to get to the point where you love Jesus. I want you to see what Jesus has to offer for you. A, A resurrected life. A changed life. A different life. One where you love Jesus and you just don't love the things about Jesus. I want to be a church that loves Jesus. I want to be a group of believers that just love Jesus and they want to be close to Jesus. There's a difference, isn't there? You you can tell the difference when you talk to people. You can tell the difference when you talk to people inside the church. You can tell the difference when you talk to band members. If they're there because they love the band or they love the music or if they really love Jesus. You can tell the difference. My question to you is this. Is that what's your life look like? Are you here because you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And I'm sure that we're probably going to have some people that because they're too afraid based on their pride they're too afraid to come down to an altar and pray and say that you know what I've been coming for the wrong reason and it's not because I love Jesus don't let that happen don't let that happen don't let your pride well up in in you and say well what are people going to think if I go down to that altar and pray are they going to think that I don't love Jesus Hmm. the whole point The whole point is saying, God, strengthen my faith. God, bring me closer to you. Open my eyes, God. I can only do this because of you. You're the only one that can change my heart, God. The people that say that are the people that love Jesus. The people that say that are the ones that acknowledge that that Jesus is the only one with the real answers in their life. So don't let that pride well up in you and say that, what are people going to think of me if I come to the altar on a a sermon like this? What are they going to think of me? Don't think about that. Think about the fact, is is God calling you to love him and to be close to him while he can still be found? That's the invitation for today. Father, thank you, God, for your precious word. God, I pray for the hearts and lives of the people that are in this place. God, there are some people, and Lord, they are just here because they have heard about Jesus. And there are some people that are here because they have heard about Jesus and they have come into your presence through the power of your word and your Holy Spirit. And God, you have spoken to them today. And you're calling them into a relationship with you where they can love you. God, I just pray. I just pray that they would recognize that you have always loved them. God, may people examine their hearts. May they look at themselves and say, do I love Jesus? Do I genuinely love Jesus? Is that the reason I'm here today? God, whatever the case may be for the people in here, I pray that they feel a freedom to come. A freedom to come and pray at this altar. God, if there's people that need to pray at their their seats, then that doesn't matter. What matters is, God, that they feel freedom to do whatever it is that you've called them to do. God, I pray that lives would be transformed, that people would respond to you with their hearts and with their lives. They would just love you. That the spiritually bankrupt, God, that they would acknowledge the position that they're in and they would just come to you today. We're on the very edge of Easter. God, we're at the point of the Passover celebration being just six days away. And here, Jesus is spending time with the people that he loved. 
I believe that Jesus is calling us into a relationship with him so that we might just love on him today. And their eyes might be opened to our souls and what we really love. Father, you're good to us. You sacrificed your son for us. We say thank you. We say that we love you. So be glorified now as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?